0: Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Well, hey, good morning again. Welcome to Vintage Church. If you need a Bible, lift up your hand. Our Connect team will get you a copy of God's Word. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 33. And if you would stand with me as we read this together. Here is what Exodus chapter 12 says. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. "...about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt, and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves." The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all of the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover, No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised." Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. And all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. We are back in this series that we call Crossover, looking at the book of Exodus, and we have literally at this point today come to the Exodus, the moment when the people of Israel begin to exit the land of Egypt. I want to encourage you, if you are new or you're wanting to catch up, there are a ton of resources at this website. You're going to find all of the past sermons, sermon notes, v-group studies, uh, sermon audio, sermon video. There is also an introduction booklet To the book of Exodus. So, if you're new to the Bible or you're new to Exodus and you want to kind of dig in a little bit deeper, you can download that. It's a free PDF as a gift from us to you for you to learn a little bit more about this story. We began the story of the Exodus looking at the people of Israel being enslaved in Egypt. And then we read about the birth of Moses, God's Redeemer, who he called up and called to deliver the people of Israel out of slavery. God heard the cry of Israel, he sends Moses, and the very last thing that we read about were the ten signs, or we know them as the ten plagues, and the Passover. And we've come to this place where God is now going to send the people of Israel Out, they are going to exit or exodus out of the land of Egypt. Now, undergirding this story and undergirding literally all of the book of Exodus, and if you want to go this far, undergirding all the story of Scripture is one word trust. It's about trust. Now, here's the challenge. In our culture and in our age, trust is a difficult thing. I don't know about you, but when you go online or you talk to other people, there are things, organizations, people, relationships that people don't trust. And we all know this, right? Trust takes a long time to gain and build, but trust can be lost in what? A moment. And so for so many of us, we're struggling to trust. We've lost trust in organizations. We've lost trust in politicians. We've lost trust in family. We've lost trust in friends, leaders, and even the church. And what this could lead us to do is it could lead us to think we can't trust anyone and that the best thing that we can do is just go it alone. If I can't trust anyone or anything, well then the only person, the only one that I can trust is who? Me. And there's so much danger in that belief. And what we do when we don't trust other people or other groups or organizations or other leaders is we begin to project that same lack of trust onto God. We project those same feelings onto God. But here's the question that I want us to think about today. Is that fair? Is that fair to God? Can we trust God? I want you to see three truths this morning from this passage in Exodus where I believe that it teaches us that we can trust God. Number one, trust the Lord's faithful favor. Everybody say favor. Everybody say favor. Trust the Lord's faithful favor. Here's the first part of God's favor that we see. The Egyptians wanted Israel out of the land. That is new news for the people of Israel. Because up until this moment, They were being kept in the land. If you go back just a chapter before, you see how Pharaoh had refused to let Israel go. Exodus chapter 11, verse 10. Moses and Aaron did all of these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go out of the land. For 430 years, the people of Israel weren't allowed to leave Egypt. The Egyptians were enslaving them. And then this moment in time comes when, says, when the Egyptians say, listen, please leave. Now, if that's not the Lord's favor, I don't know what is. What we see is that the people of Israel are encouraged to get out. Get out from a land, by the way, that they've only known. This is the only reality that they have ever known. Egypt was all Israel ever knew. And so part of trusting God's favor is trusting that God was going to bring them somewhere that was better than the current reality that they had known. One author says it like this He says, Getting Israel physically out of Egypt is the easy part. Getting Egypt, both their slavish mentality and the allure of Egyptian luxury and mores, out of the Israelite psyches will be much harder. I thought about it like this for you and I. We might not be exiting Egypt, but here's the reality unhealthy things are hard to leave behind. When they are all you've ever known. Let me say it one more time. Unhealthy things are hard to leave behind when they are all that you've ever known. And the tension here, again, think about this reality in light of God's favor, in in light of the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor is giving you something good. He's saying, listen, I want you to get out of this unhealthy thing. And you're looking at the unhealthy thing saying, listen, this is pretty comfortable to me because this is all I've ever known. But part of trusting the Lord's faithful favor is trusting that what He's bringing you into, just like the Israelites going out of Egypt into the promised land, is better than where you've been. So the Egyptians or the Israelites are led out of Egypt. But the other way that we see God's favor, the Lord's favor in this story, is the Egyptians give Israel what they asked. God tells the people of Israel, listen, ask the Egyptians for all their good stuff, for all their stuff that makes them wealthy, for their gold and their silver and their fine clothing. And literally, what the scriptures say is that they plundered the Egyptians. They didn't even have to do anything. They just asked and the Egyptians were like, listen, we'll give you whatever it takes for you to get out. And in that moment, this is what the Lord's favor did. He gave the people of Israel everything that they were going to need for their wilderness journey to the promised land. And imagine this just for a moment. The Israelites were thinking, listen, this is going to be a short trek. Egypt to the promised land. A few days. We know the whole story. They were stuck in the wilderness for 40 years because they were stupid. Sorry, that's my translation. So... In plundering the Egyptians in the favor of the Lord, being, giving them everything that the Egyptians had, they were sustained in the wilderness for 40 years. Now look, all of this is tied up in who God is. Here, here's what I want you to understand. The who, everybody say who. The who precedes the what. Everybody say what. The who precedes the what. Another way to think about this is it's the attributes that precede the action. And what I mean by that is that it is because of who God is that leads Him to do the things He does. So we can trust the Lord's faithful favor. Why? Because the Lord is good. Because He's good. God's favor is our personal experience of His goodness. He cares about our well being. He cares about our needs. He cares about our health. This is all a part of His. Goodness. Listen to what the brother of Jesus, James, says in James chapter 1. Do not be deceived. Don't believe the lies. That's what James is saying, my beloved brothers. Every, everybody say every. That means what? Every. Every good gift. Every perfect gift is from where? Above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What James is getting at is, listen, if you have something good in life, the only reason you have it is because we have a Father who is good. The favor that we experience comes from His goodness. One of the things that I feel like is on repeat in my house with my kids is that they're always wanting something more, right? Uh, Gabe is about ready to start mowing the lawn because I'm tired of buying stuff. So I'm going to give him an allowance so I don't have to mow the yard anymore, right? That's, it's beautiful. It's incredible, Right, But one of the things that we have to remind our kids often, and this is like Rachel's uh, mantra in life, is that we are thankful and grateful for what we have. <laughs> right, As adults, I need to be reminded of that truth. We are grateful and thankful for what we have. Because here's the reality. I don't know about you. I'm just going to be honest with you. I am naturally a pessimistic person. I, I, I immediately go to what could go wrong or what is not good about a particular situation, which, by the way, often causes me to miss the Lord's goodness and His favor in my life. My pessimism leads me to do that. Did you know that studies have shown... That those of us who practice gratitude regularly raise our happiness by 25%. Like, if you would just sit down, if I would just sit down once a day and say, God, here are the things that I have to be grateful for, my happiness in life would increase by 25%. I actually think that God has done that, that God has built that into us for us to show gratitude, He will increase that happiness because that's the kind of thing we were created for. So for you and I, what would it look like for us to reflect on how the Lord has shown us favor? To look out and instead of being like me and saying, well, this is what I don't have or this is what could be better, to look and say, listen, God, I'm grateful and thankful for the things that I have. I'm grateful and thankful for your favor in my life, for me to experience experience your goodness in my life the israelites were to look out and recognize that the reason that they were being brought out of egypt the reason the egyptians wanted them out the reason that the egyptians were giving them everything was not because the israelites were something but it was because god is good And he was demonstrating his favor to them. So here's a question for you this week. How has the Lord shown you favor? Sit down this week and just begin to list out the ways in which God has shown you favor. And by the way, sometimes the most difficult times, the most painful times, are also when God shows us favor when we experience the goodness of God. So we see that we're to trust God's faithful favor, but it's not just His favor that we are to trust. Number two, we're to trust the Lord's faithful care. We're to trust the Lord's faithful care. In verses 37 through 42, we see something pretty incredible in my mind that I think many of us uh, just read over. The Lord added to Israel. I don't know if you've ever caught this as you have read the book of Exodus before, but in verse 38 it says, "...a mixed multitude also went up with them." In this moment, as they're being delivered out of slavery into freedom, it's not just that they're getting out of that slavery, but they are literally growing because of the Lord's care. This mixed multitude probably included other slaves. The Israelites, the Hebrews, were not the only ones that were enslaved in Egypt. It would have included other slaves. It could have included Egyptians. I mean, if you're sitting around Egypt and you're watching the ten signs and the ten plagues and you're seeing all that the Lord is doing, would you not be like, you know, maybe I should go with them rather than stay here? And so what Moses tells us in this retelling of this story is that there were other people that went up with Israel. And the incredible truth and reality about this, this is what I love about this mixed multitude, is that the family of God, the people have, of God, have, it's never been about ethnicity. It's never been about being Jewish. It has always been about faith in and covenant with the living God, always. For the people of Israel, you could be of Jewish descent and yet not follow the law of God, the covenant of God. And so even here, we see that. In the Old Testament, we see these beautiful pictures where God is telling the people of Israel, listen, the point of you, the reason I called you out, you were little in number, you were the smallest of nations, the reason I called you out and made you something was that so I could gather the rest of the nations to myself. In the book of Ephesians, in the book of Galatians, in the book of Acts. All of these books are about Jews and Gentiles coming into together the family of God. This is what God has always been about. God's plan has always been about the redemption of not one people group, but all of humanity. This is how God cares for us. This is the story of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus, who is God, came to earth. He put on flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross, died for the sins of not just the Jews, for humanity, for Jews and Gentiles. Rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and Satan. The story of the Gospel is that this is the way God brings in the nations. This is the way in which a mixed multitude comes into the people of God. This is why faith in Jesus is so important. Birth, lineage heritage, ethnicity does not, cannot, will not ever save you. It is about repentance, turning away from the way you've been living because the way you have been living is not the way God wants you to live. It's about faith in Jesus, looking to the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross and the empty grave that he, what he did, he's the perfect Israel, he's the perfect Adam, what he did can save us. And then confessing that faith through baptism, being buried with Jesus, being raised with Jesus, coming out of the water. Confessing that faith. That's what this story tells us. This is part of how the Lord cared for Israel. But also the Lord watched over Israel. In in the end of this passage, going into uh, verse 42, it says, "...it was a night of watching." By the Lord. That word watching is literally the word for a vigil. If you're familiar with a vigil, right, it's where you stay up and you keep watch. Another way to think about this is that the Lord had his eyes on Israel. So as they are walking out of Egypt, out of slavery, toward the promised land, God is caring for them, watching over them. I mean, if you're a new parent or you've had little kids or you've been around little kids, think about a child who's just beginning to walk. There, there's some hesitation as the parent, like you want to hold on to the child because you know that they're you know, a little bit unstable, they're a little bit wobbly. You remove literally every single hard object, right, from their uh, circumference so they don't knock their skull. You're watching over them. In the same way, that is what the Lord did for the people of Israel. And in the same way, I love how this is tied together, the end of verse 42. If this was a night of watching for the Lord, look at what it says. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. What you are going to find in the book of Exodus is that over and over and over again, God is tying things back to the Passover. He's tying these rituals and these acts back to, don't forget what I told you to do so that you would remember what I did for you. I would encourage you, that website I gave you at the beginning, go back and listen to the very last message in Exodus chapter 12. We spent an entire message talking about the Passover. And in the next couple of messages, you are going to hear again, God bring up the Passover to the people of Israel. It's that important. Because God does not want them to forget what He has done. Because when we forget, then we begin to not trust. Then we begin to lose faith. Israel was not supposed to forget what God had done for them. And all of this is tied again to who God is. The who, everybody say who, precedes the what. Everybody say what. It is the attributes of God that lead to the action of God. Who God is determines what He does. And in this, what we see is that the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is faithful to care for us because He is sovereign. He is ruler over all of the nations, over all of the kingdoms, over all of earth. In His omnipotence, God is able to sovereignly care for all of creation and simultaneously you. I've shared this before, right? But God is so powerful that he can make sure all of the physics that keep the planet spinning and keep the temperature just right, he can keep all of that going and at the same time know how many hairs are on the top of your head, which is saying something because I'm losing hairs by the minute. That's not an amen moment. That's how powerful God is. That's how sovereign he is. Nothing and no one is outside of God's care. So again, the question for you this week is, how has the Lord cared for you? How has the Lord shown you favor? How has the Lord cared for you? Where have been those moments in your life when you look back and you recognize that God had His eye on you the entire time. Because we have those moments where we, like, we look around and we're like, God, where are you? And then a year goes by, five years goes by, a decade goes by, and we recognize that the entire time when we didn't know if God was there, He was there, His eye was on us, He was caring for us all along. We trust His faithful favor. We trust His faithful care. Lastly, and most significantly, we trust the Lord's faithful freedom. Exodus 12 verses 43 through 51 tells us that the freedom that comes is because the Lord brought Israel out of Slavery. Verse 51, on that very day, this is the story of the Exodus. On that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Now, you read this passage, and it might seem a little odd. I mean, we were reading it, and it was talking about those who are circumcised, those who are uncircumcised, those who are free, those who are slaves. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa we're living in a different world today, are we not? yes. But you have to understand the context of what's going on because this is actually incredibly significant to our idea and our understanding of freedom. I, just a minute ago, I talked about how God's family has never been about ethnicity It's never been about race. It's it's always been about humanity bringing people of all colors, of all ethnicities in. And at the same time, what this tells us about the freedom of God is that it's never been about socioeconomic status. In the ancient world, especially in the Old Testament, slavery was not based on race. It was based on socioeconomic status. If you were poor you would often be enslaved. And what the Lord is getting at in this scenario is, he's, listen, anybody, regardless of how much money they have or how little they have, can be in the family of God. You might be like, well, what about circumcision? Listen, circumcision was a sign of the covenant. right? I wear this wedding ring, and this ring tells you What? I'm married. Rachel is my wife. This is a sign of my covenant with my wife. And in the same way, in the Old Testament, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. When you see somebody get baptized, what do you know about them? They're a Christian. Why? Because that is a sign of the covenant. So when God says, listen, anybody can take Passover... As long as they're circumcised, what he's getting at is that the the family of God, the people of God, is open to anyone regardless of socioeconomic status. That's freedom. There's nothing holding us back from being in relationship with God. The sign, accepting the sign, it was up to me to put this ring on. It was up to me to be baptized. The only thing holding me back is me. And that's what God is trying to tell the people of Israel. Listen, my freedom, I've given you. You have to receive it. You have to accept it. You have to trust it. And again, all of this points to the reality that the Lord is love. The what? The who, everybody say who, precedes the what? What? The who precedes the what? The attributes of God precede the actions of God. So the reason that God bought the people of Israel out of slavery and into freedom is because He is love. The New Testament says that, that God is love. And for us to be enslaved to sin is to choose that slavery rather than the freedom that God has bought us. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31. It says, Thus says the Lord, The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Now, Jeremiah 31 is in the context of exile. So you have to understand the people of Israel come out of slavery in Egypt. They go into the promised land. God makes a covenant with the people of Israel and says, Listen, if you live like this, you uphold your side of the covenant. I uphold my side of the covenant. We will be in right relationship. The people of Israel failed to do that. And God says, Listen, because of that, you're going into exile, but the promise of God's love remains. Listen, despite our sin, despite our stupidity, God still loves us. Amen. Jeremiah says that it was with an everlasting love. It was a continued faithfulness. This word faithfulness. It's my favorite Hebrew word in all of the Hebrew Bible. It's chesed. It's that guttural, right? If you don't spit when you say this word, you're not saying it right, okay? So everybody say it with me on three. One, two, three. Chesed. Chesed. The best The best definition of this kind of love comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible, a kid's Bible. Sally Lloyd-Jones describes it like this. It is a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. That is the love with which God loves us. It is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. The reason God would free the Israelites is because he loves them. The reason that God would send His Son Jesus to die on the cross and rise from the grave is because He loves us. We trust His faithful freedom because He loves us. So here's the question for you. How has the Lord loved you? This week, just sit down. And begin to list out the ways you have experienced God's love. And at the top of that list, can I just give you a little cheat code right now to put at the top of the list, at the top of the list should be the name Jesus. That's how we know that God has loved us. I think for many of us, the challenge with trust is not because we don't believe in God's favor. It's not because we don't believe in God's care. It's not because we even believe in God's love. It's about timing. Trust is hard because it's never in our timing. Right, My kids, I say, we're going to do this. We're going to get this. And the reason they don't trust me is because it's not on their timetable. It's on mine. Peter, in Second Peter chapter 3, wrote this about the Lord. He says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow. Did you hear that? The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." It's not that God's forgotten his promise. It's not that God has reneged on his promise. It's that he's patient. So we can trust his favor, we can trust his care, we can trust his love. He is patient, but He will fulfill His promises. I don't know exactly where every single one of you are at. There's a good chance that right now you're in the middle of something that's causing you to doubt God's faithfulness. To doubt his goodness, to doubt his sovereignty, to doubt his love. Maybe you're not in that right now, but I can make you one promise for sure that a moment is going to come in the near future where you will wrestle with trusting God. Am I Encouragement to you is to trust Him. To go back to stories like Exodus chapter 12 and recognize that you can trust the Lord. And then begin to ask yourself this second question because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets practical for you and I because you can say that you're going to trust Him but how will you trust Him? How will you trust Him? Because when it gets really hard, when you're in the middle of that season, when everything around you looks difficult, where you're not seeing God's favor, you're not seeing God's care, you're not seeing God's freedom, you're not feeling God's goodness, you're not feeling God's sovereignty, you're not feeling God's love, the how matters. Because it is then, in those moments when you're not believing, when you're not feeling, that you have to do something. Because even when you don't believe something and even when you don't feel something, you can still do something that reminds you and tells you that God is faithful. And that God can be trusted. Trust the faithfulness of God. He's been faithful to his promises. And because of that faithfulness, we can trust him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for your love. In this moment, Father, help us to trust your faithful favor. Help us to trust your faithful care. Help us to trust your faithful freedom. Be with us now as we respond to you. We love you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.